Hey guys and girls, welcome, welcome to, to Single to Sealed. Sealed. I'm Jerry, your host, and here with me is my co-host and wife, Brianna. As members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we have dedicated this podcast to helping fellow Christians navigate the treacherous waters of dating all the way to the winding roads of marriage. All are welcome in our podcast family, and we are so excited to have you here with us. Be sure to subscribe, follow, or favorite. Let's talk. Hello, podcast family, and welcome back to another Single to Sealed episode. We're thrilled to be here with you today. And today's subject is a very important one, lust versus love, and definitely one that needs to be covered, especially, I think, when it comes to relationships that have to do with waiting until you're married, so Christian relationships. And we are going to dive right into this topic today, but first we want to remind you to leave a review if you haven't already and make sure to subscribe to the podcast. We are talking to you, Cameron, and to you, James. Make sure you are subscribed to our podcast and leave a review. Yeah, exactly what Brianna said. I couldn't have said any better to you, Cameron. (laughs) (laughs) And James. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we're really excited to continue to grow the podcast and thanks everybody for your support. So let's go ahead and talk about lust versus love. So first of all, I just have this overarching idea here for the reason that we're doing this podcast. And that idea is love powers healthy relationships. And while physical connections are important, it's not the main focus or the main force that should determine the success of your relationship. And so I know that I've had personal experience with this and A lot of people may have had experience with this and they just aren't aware of it because either you're in it right now or you haven't really thought of it this way. Um, But I've talked about this a little bit before on the podcast and that's uh, in the relationship I had just before I met Brianna, I I met this girl and I dated her for about uh, two months and we were even saying I love you and I thought that this relationship was great. Just my personal experience was, this was so great and I'm just so happy. But every time that we would meet after the first couple dates, we just made out. We just made out all the time. We could make out for hours. And that was pretty much the extent of our relationship. And we didn't do many other activities. (laughs) We stopped doing them because we'd rather make out to appease this sexual desire that we were trying to appease. And, and I didn't see this. I was so blind. And it, it wasn't until that, it wasn't until we broke up that I had noticed that this was happening to me because I started to realize, man, I didn't even really like her anyways. I didn't like her for this reason. It wasn't going to work out for this reason, but you know, she was really attractive to me. And I really found out that that's what I was missing when we broke up. I was missing that I couldn't do that anymore with somebody rather than even missing her. And that's why I have a firm belief now in why we give this rule that we should focus on maintaining these emotional relationships and save all this physical intimacy for later because our emotional connection wasn't yet created. And so this was something that was, I I believe, purely driven by lustful passion. I really love that you shared that example because I think it's very vulnerable Jerry's being very vulnerable and open and honest right now by sharing that example. And I think it's a great example because, like he said, 
it was very one-sided for him. He was purely attracted to her. And the sad thing is, is he said he didn't even miss her. He missed that physical connection he was getting, which makes it selfish. Sorry, babe. But it was. <laughs> Lust is a selfish thing. And it's a thing that is easy easily entrapping for us because we do naturally have those desires to be connected physically. Um, It's a gift from God that we've been given, like we've talked about in some episodes we've had previously. This is something very special and something very sacred. And that's why Satan loves to use lust to twist it into something that isn't special and isn't sacred. And it's very, very alluring and very appealing. So what is love? What is real love? And how do we know the difference between lust and love? We want to break it down a little bit and talk about how lust versus love will feel. There was a really great quote that I saw online while I was doing some research and reading some things about lust and love. And it was just placed by uh, a person on Quora, I think is how you say it. It's kind of like Reddit, where people can ask questions and answer. And it was just a user. And she said, being in love is the single most earth-shattering feeling in the world. But loving deeply is what gets you to 70, sharing a household with the same person. And she said, being in love, which I like to replace with lust, is like a fire in a forest, while loving is like a cozy fireplace. So both can keep you warm. One will scorch you, right? Because you're right in the middle of it. And I think it's very important to note because being in love can also mean being in love with the idea of a person or being in love with the idea of being physical with that person and having that physical connection and being in love with the idea of love. Like you can lust after a person because you are like, oh, they're so great because they're so beautiful and so amazing. And when you love someone, yes, they're beautiful and amazing to you, but you also are able to recognize other things about them besides that and recognize their faults and love them for their faults too. I think what Brianna says about um, loving the idea of love is, is really important just because you know, when you say you love somebody, you, sometimes that's not, that, that's not even what you're really meaning. You think <laughs> that's what you mean, but really you're loving a different concept. You're not even loving them as a person. You're loving features about them or ideas about them or, um, something in your mind, an image that you wish to project onto them. And that's something that a lustful desire can easily mask over your eyes. Yeah, I really love that. That's a very good point. And I mean, lust is like a mask because it truly blinds you. I truly do not think you should ever get married to someone if you feel blinded by love. Um, And if you feel like that's the only emotion driving you forward is loving them for all the good things because you do love someone for the good things about them but you also love them because of the harder things and the things that they need to work on and that is one thing that you need to acknowledge before you get into a marriage is that a truly deep love means that you accept them wholly for who they are and lust wants you to think that you're falling in love with a person that's perfect and that you know your relationship's all going to be about sex and that physical intimacy and that high that you get. But love isn't a high all the time. Right, Jerry? Love is hard work and being committed and working on things together and supporting one another and serving one another and so many more things than just that physical moment. Yeah, exactly. So we asked the question here, what is love and how do I know I'm in real love? And so we have a, a symptoms chart that we've come up with. You know, if you look on Google, it comes up on the side with symptoms <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you're self-diagnosing yourself. 
Yeah, so we have something similar to that. We have our, our love symptoms here. So, Brianna, what are those symptoms? Okay, so the symptoms of love are it is both compassionate and passionate. So there is passion in love. You can feel passionate towards someone physically and still be in love. And that physical attraction can be hand-in-hand hand with love. Uh, heavy connections emotionally and spiritually, though, is the difference between lust and love. If you have those strong connections to that person and you love them for their mind and their spirituality and you feel that connection to them, that only comes from you truly knowing someone. So that leads to our next symptom, which is you spend most of your time getting to know one another, which means talking, um, doing things that let you open up to one another and really learn more about one another. Another one is envisioning your future and daydreaming about more than just being physical, which is something that I think applies a lot to people who are members of the church or Christian who are waiting for marriage to have sex. If you catch yourself daydreaming about the other person and the only thing you're daydreaming about is having sex with them, then I would say that is not a symptom of love. And the final one we have here is it does not need to involve physicality to feel fulfilling. So even after you're married, even after you can have all the sex that you want, <laughs> it's not always going to happen in marriage. And so the love needs to be what's fulfilling to you. And that's what's truly going to make you feel that connection with that person. And so you don't need that physicality to feel love towards someone. And that's a sign of true love. Something that's also to note, and I think that something that can be a cause for high divorce rate is that people get married and then they have the idea that Brianna's talking about, that now we can have sex as much as we want. And after they do, they find out that there wasn't much there. It, sex will become boring to you. It sounds weird to say, but it will become boring to you if it's not backed by a different uh, power in, in truly loving somebody. Because that physical and emotional connection, that constant desire to just want to be closer to the person that, that you love and, and hold is, is the power that, that, that motivates that sex drive, that, that innate desire to be closer to them because you just love them so much versus I need to meet this sexual need. Mm -hmm. And so to piggyback on that, Jerry, what are the symptoms of lust that we have listed here? So our symptoms of lust are one that is a purely sexual attraction. Then we have that we're driven forward by physical interest and attraction slash desires. Sometimes there can be emotional or spiritual connection, but this is all put on the back burner. So what that means is like what I talked about in the beginning, which was that we have this physical attraction can't be the main driving force for our relationship. It's something that in a lustful relationship, that concept of that loving connection isn't on the forefront of your mind. It's in the back. We want to meet this sexual desire first. And then spending most of your time together engaging in kissing and making out or physical intimate activities. Just like I had mentioned before, that experience happened to me. And it does not need to involve love. And I think that's the most powerful one. That a lustful relationship doesn't actually have to involve love at all. And this is almost how it kind of goes back to uh, our nickmos that we keep talking about. Just that, that, that passion that you feel that you're, that you're releasing or enjoying is something that doesn't come from a place of love or true godlike 
connection. It's this place of, I need to try to get rid of some of this pent-up sexual desires that honestly just won't be satiated. So I think a good way to kind of test yourself after you've heard all these symptoms is to ask yourself, if someone asked you about the person you're dating right now, how would you describe them? What would you say about them? What would be the first thing that you would say is most attractive to you about them? And do you really know that much about them? If someone were to ask you, what is the thing you spend most of your time doing with your significant other? And you answered truthfully, what would it be? Making out? Sitting around chatting? What would it be? And so those are some good introspective questions to ask yourself and inspired questions to really dig deep and see where your relationship lies. I think an important thing to note here as well is if you're noticing that, oh my goodness, my relationship is starting to lean more towards a lustful relationship, you can save it. You can get yourself back on track and bring yourself back into the right path of having a loving, fulfilling relationship, but you need to recognize these symptoms and get to action and put yourself to work to realign yourself with God's will and the will that you have for this relationship. I think what Brianna said is super important because... It's very possible that your relationship started on a very emotional, loving connection. And then once you introduce this physical activity, that gets pushed away. You become too focused on the sexual portion. And you have this this feeling of love that you remember having, and it's kind of pushed towards the back. And so it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have a real connection anymore. It just means we're not focusing as much on where we should be focusing. and it, It's and, getting pushed to the back burner. Yeah, and it, could be, and it could be dangerous. And so we need to always have that emotional, um, pure love, all-encompassing, you know, emotions that, that you daydream about and fantasize when you're, when you're a little girl, let's say, for most of you. Yep. <laughs> most girls <laughs> dream of that stuff and guys don't um, as, as deeply, I should say. So what Brianna is saying about salvaging your relationship here is is pretty cool because it just follows this pattern that that God has given us for repentance like that we are constantly looking to change and improve ourselves and when you're in a relationship I think you're constantly helping to build one another and to improve your relationship too and the is a great time to be able to work that through with one another and I think that that's really good to to bring up when you're feeling this way because it gives you a good opportunity to set boundaries and to learn how your partner accepts boundaries and their willingness to change, you know, to, to, to fulfill this emotional desire once you express express this idea. I definitely agree with everything that Jerry just said. That was a very great point of, of salvaging something that is good because just because there's lustful feelings in a relationship doesn't, doesn't mean it's a bad relationship. doesn't mean it's not worth saving. But now this is your moment. Take this as your sign if you're struggling with this in your relationship, that it's time to repent and make a switch. And I think it's also important to note along with that, that love can also be experienced with that lust. So we just need to be careful not to feed into that lust. So I want to make a little kind of metaphor here. If you are sitting at the counter and there's a box of cookies in front of you, cookies are delicious. Okay. I love cookies. Jerry loves cookies. Everyone loves cookies, right? Well, not everyone, but all the cool people do. (laughs) (laughs) and 
The problem we see with relationships where we are saving ourselves till marriage is sometimes we can become hyper focused on that cookie because it, you know, it just sounds so good. It smells so good. And so instead of finding something else to eat that will satisfy us for the time being or distract us from that desire of the cookie, we'll sit there staring at it for hours. (laughs) We'll pick it up and we'll sniff it. Mm, that just that cookie smells so good. <laughs> and then we'll we'll hold it in our hands and just like break it into pieces and just be like, mm, this cookie just looks so good. Look at those chocolate chips in there. And we'll just spend our entire time focusing on that cookie instead of just saying, you know what, I'll have an apple instead. Or you know what, let me make myself a meal to take care of this hunger and hopefully help satiate some of this desire that I'm having. So I'm trying to compare that to sex, okay? Because we know that when we become close to someone, we have those desires. So the best thing for us to do is to try to become focused on something else. So when we have those desires to be physically intimate, that's our time to try to strengthen other ways we can be intimate, to to feed that desire for intimacy. So we can be spiritually intimate. We can be emotionally intimate. We can have deep talks. We can share about... Uh, things that are important to us and get to know the person even better. We can read scriptures together. We can do things that are going to uplift us, go to the temple and try to keep ourselves very strong and build that love and that relationship without sitting there sniffing, staring at the cookie. Because, you know, the more we sniff at it and stare at it, the more we're going to want to just take a little nibble out of it. And the more we're going to become hyper-focused on that being the only important part of our relationship. So there's your little metaphor. Nice. Now I want a cookie. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we have some examples of modern day prophets and uh, church leaders and scriptural accounts that talk about this idea of lusting a little bit and why it can be dangerous that we thought would be kind of kind of nice to share here. So let's share some of those. Yeah. Um, So Jeffrey R. Holland. Sorry, I wasn't close. Yeah. So Jeffrey R. Holland from the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, said, Why is lust such a deadly sin? Well, in addition to the completely spirit-destroying impact it has upon our souls, I think it is a sin because it defiles the highest and holiest relationship God gives us in mortality. The love that a man and a woman have for each other and the desire that a couple has to bring children into a family intended to be forever. I think that's very powerful because like we've talked about earlier in this episode, Satan wants to turn something so beautiful and so sacred into something not beautiful and not sacred. He knows the power that there is in being physically intimate and having sex and sharing that experience with someone that you are committed to and that you truly love um, with a love that only God can help give us. I, I think of that meme. Everybody knows the, the meme of the guy who looks back. Like he's walking with his girl and he sees that girl in the red dress. You know that meme I'm talking about? <laughs> yes, I do. He looks back with that face like, ooh. And the, and the girlfriend's like, oh, are you kidding me? Like, why are you looking at this other girl? That perfectly defines the idea of, of lusting. Uh, because even though he had something good and he had somebody who was with him and supporting him and and right by his side, like still took the time to see this other woman walk by and, and, and check her out and insatiable or never satisfied yeah it's it's this i the idea that uh 
and I, I've heard this before, that it, it wasn't bad to see that girl and at first glance say, okay, she was hot. In your mind, that's not really bad. It's it's bad when you start saying, oh, she was hot and I wish I could do that. To or her. let me get a second look. Or she passed by, let me look back again and see what I missed. Just because mm, that's nice. Like that, that is when your thoughts... And things you can't control become something you you can control and that you can improve if that's the way that your mind starts to process things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so it's it's feeding into it, feeding into those desires, because we can always control our second thought. Okay, a really great example in the scriptures of lust is probably one that is already in your minds now that I mentioned a scriptural example. Uh, The one of King David. On our church website, it talks about King David in the Lust versus Love page. I'll link that in our show notes, but it shares about his story. It says, the tragic choices of King David are a sad example of how powerful and deadly this emotion can be. David happened to see Bathsheba bathing and lusted after her. Lust yielded to action, and he had her brought to him, and he lay with her. And then in a misguided effort to hide his sin, David ordered Bathsheba's husband to be stationed in battle where he was certain to be killed. And as a result, David lost his exaltation, which is pretty huge. It's a pretty big thing, a pretty horrible chain of events. Um, the thing that we can note here, like Jerry just mentioned just a few seconds ago, is that he happened to see her bathing. Okay, he had that first thought. He could have been like, oh, crap. Okay, let's close the curtains. Let's go keep myself occupied with something else. Let's distract myself, not think about it. But instead, he entertained it. And he lusted after her, and that led to action. And so if we're going to continue to entertain lustful thoughts and lustful desires, it will lead to some sort of action eventually. And that's why it's so important that we learn how to redirect and control our thoughts. Because, you know, we're going to have thoughts that are lustful, but it's our job to control those and to recognize how important it is to value sexual intimacy in the right setting which is with us, our spouse that we love. Yeah, that's a really good example of what we're talking about here, Brianna, with that scripture. So thanks for finding that one. Another thought I was having um, kind of outside of the realm of quotes is this is why it's so important for us to live our life in the most wholesome way we can. And what I mean by that is the kind of activities we engage in, the type of ways that we we try to spend our time, like Brianna's talking about, is all really important because these lustful desires or someone that experiences this often, it's easily triggered and becomes a part of your life and the way you think based on a lot of these activities. So, you know, if you're somebody who's in that unfortunate snare of pornography, your life is going to have a lot more thoughts of of lustful actions just by nature of how you receive dopamine to your brain. And another example would be the type of music you listen to. If it's if it's derogatory or something that is 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 very lustful, it can be something that can manipulate the way that that you think as well about about women or it can arouse certain emotions in you. Honestly, just just the way that they they talk about it. And so it's important that we're engaging ourselves in activities and and watching good, wholesome shows. We know how many shows are on TV right now that I dare say it sucks we can't even watch because 
I feel like we're moving into a world where something's either rated R or mature or PG. <laughs> it's like one or the other. And and everyone's talking about how great this show is, your friend. This is all oh, that last episode of Bridgerton is so cool. Outlander. Or Outlander, or whatever. All these different shows are so cool. But if you look up all the amount of inappropriate activity and, and nudity and things that we shouldn't be watching so casually, it it really can mess up our minds. And it's crazy because even my work at my work, I can hear you know people who who talk about these shows and talk about oh that that show was so hot like it got me heated you know that show was so great I loved I love that show you just that, that what it does to your mind and your mentality and your relationships I feel like people just can easily ignore and what it's teaching you about what a quote unquote healthy relationship or a relationship to mimic yours after is right it makes you say oh I want to have a relationship just like just like so-and-so in, in this show. And it gives you an idea of what your relationship should look like when in reality, if we're going to break down how healthy most of the relationships we see on TV screens are, they're probably a lot rooted in lust. I mean, I personally love The Vampire Diaries, but reflecting back on Damon and Elena's relationship, it was a very toxic relationship. And yet we idolize those kinds of relationships, like the bad boy and the good girl, and and it's not healthy. And so... We need to be trying to pattern and follow the example of healthy relationships we've seen in our lives that have led to good, healthy, might I say, celestial marriages and really talk with those people that we have in our lives that have a healthy relationship and ask them for advice. Ask them how they did when they were dating, what what dates they went on and what they did to really connect before they got married. I'm sure everyone that's listening listening to this has at least one example of a healthy relationship in their life, whether that be your bishop and his wife, or your mom and your dad, or your best friend and her husband, and reach out to them. Ask them for guidance. They are there to help you. So we invite you to do that. And I think on top of that, remember that every experience that you have with somebody is unique. If you feel like you experienced love and a good connection with somebody where you ended up you know, not really working out, you can't take that experience and and put it into another relationship. You know, say, when I was with this person, they did this, they behaved this, and this is how I felt this way. You can't set those expectations for someone else. And so you have to realize that every every relationship is unique. And so we can't really mimic other people's relationships and the things that they like and the way that they experience, experience love. I... I remember listening to Mark Ogletree, I remember his his podcast, he was talking about how he was so excited to set this goal to go running all the time with his wife, and she was like, I hate that. <laughs> I, I, I love that because, you know, you're, you're setting this expectation that, you know, both people didn't really, didn't really agree on. And so I think what I'm saying here is it's important for us to be engaged in trying to have these more emotional, connected relationships and I think this is the way that you are going to go from single to sealed. Yes. And truly communicating with your significant other and the people you're dating about your goal to have a lust-free relationship and a truly connected relationship is important. And if you're going to find someone that is going to be on board with this, you need to talk with them about it early. And like we've advised previously, you need to have that discussion of expectations and laying down the law of you wanting to try to hold off from physical intimacy until you are committed to one another. And then even after that, trying to hold back from going too far and making your relationship all about lust. 
This is important. Even if you are engaged and you're like, it's okay, we're getting married soon. Lust can exist in marriages as well. Because lust is not just desiring after something you can't have, but it's also engaging in sexual activity or those desires that is one-sided and purely just for the satisfaction of one of you. And purely just because you desire to have that action and not desire to be with them. And that is why it's so important to have a lust-free relationship always. And it's always something that we can work on and try to make it a goal to truly love one another for more than just something physical. If you enjoy Single to Sealed, be sure to invite your friends to help our podcast family grow. If you haven't subscribed, followed, or favorited, be sure you do so you don't miss out on any of our great content. Thank you for joining us today as we help you move one step closer to sealing the deal. We'll We'll see see you next time. time.